How's it going? I'm Coco. And this is Mike. And this is Rock and Vino, the podcast where we talk about wine, music, and food, and how they all go so well together. You can find past episodes live every Tuesday all over the web, wherever fine podcasts are sold. Your your podcast purveyor of choice, uh, mm-hmm. Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, all of them. It's everywhere. Uh, on social media, at Rock and Vino, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, like and subscribe, and uh, and you'll get new episodes and you'll like them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this week we have someone who is passionate in both the worlds of music and wine. Uh, she is Kathleen Inman of Inman Family Wines. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Definitely. So uh, you were born in Napa, in the Napa Valley. So I was. you uh, were kind of, in, in some ways, I guess, you know, born into wine in, in some ways. It, was that how you first found wine? How, how you no, got into well, it? you would think that. <laughs> you would. <laughs> but there are several reasons that wasn't the case. So, I mean, first off, when I was a kid and I was in 4-H, for example, um, grapes were such a small part of the Napa Valley's uh, produce. And I need to say, I do not normally sound like I gargle with gravel <laughs> and drink whiskey shots. Um, but that's how uh, we prep for this. I don't um, sure. Yes, unfortunately, I've got a bit of a, a bit of a cold. But but no, I grew up in Napa, but my family were um, teetotal. So my mother's family are Seventh Day Adventists. So there was no alcohol at home when I was growing up, and not that my parents were religious. We just didn't have that as a family tradition. We had milk water or coffee with which shows they weren't religious because they drank <laughs> they drank coffee but uh, my grandmother didn't um and so it wasn't until you know when i went away to university um in the late 70s napa was starting to become more more wine and they were taking out the prunes that my family farmed prunes in napa um and they were taking out prunes and walnuts and putting in in grapes and i remember my grandmother saying to me why are they taking out all these prunes? What are they going to plant? And I said, I think they're putting in grapes, Grandma. She said, well, who's, what do they do with all those grapes? I said, well, they make wine. She said, well, who drinks that? Everybody. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> and so I really started getting interested in wine when I went to UC Santa Barbara. Oh. And I did, um, that wasn't wine country either when I went there. And, but a local um wine shop that had opened up started doing some blind tasting um trying to get more people interested in more esoteric wines that he was wanting to sell and so each week we went along with um six empty glasses that i carried in a beer um, (laughs) six pack perfect and we tasted blind these different wines and so i was fascinated at how one grape grown in different places could taste so different. And then when you take grapes from exactly the same plot of land, but are made by different winemakers, they're different as well. Mm -hmm. And so when I came home that uh, summer of my junior year at university, I got my first job in a small winery in the Napa Valley. And that's where it all began. (laughs) How cool. So you just kind of, um, it just kind of happened like serendipitously where you just kind of like found this love of wine yes I think so I mean I I think at first I was interested since it was a product made where I was from I wanted to know a little bit about it when Mm -hmm. everyone would hear you're from Napa oh blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. Uh, but but then I really just I was fascinated um like I said of how not only are those differences of the place it's grown, but every year is different. So it seemed to me endlessly fascinating. Mm-hmm. I, although I did not have any intention of uh, doing it as a career, 
I just wanted to learn about it like most people, just to <laughs> en- en- enhance the uh, experience of yeah. drinking wine. And then what um, what happened where that essentially was the, the catapult for you then becoming a winemaker and starting your own winery? How did that happen? Well, it's kind of a long story. That's okay. Um, we got time. <laughs> <laughs> so that getting that job in the, a small winery called Napa Creek Winery, um, it had just opened, and the man who had started it lived across the street from my parents. And I had been trying to find a job, but all the Davis wine students had actually taken all the positions. How rude. <laughs> exactly. So um, I was giving bus tours of the Napa Valley, and it was oh. really horrible. And my dad was talking to the neighbor and said, you know, Kathleen had really wanted to get a job in a winery. And he said, well, you know, I just left Beringer and I opened up a winery and maybe I have a job. Have her come over and talk. So I went and he said, if you're willing to help in the cellar or help with guests that come or anything that we need, mm-hmm. I have a job. You can start tomorrow. So 1030, I show up. They open at 11. I had about 15 minutes of someone tasting me through the wines. And the first uh, uh, guests came through the door and they were... Uh, an English woman, an English man, Mm -hmm. and an American man. And I was going to be an exchange student in England the next year. So I'm a little nervous having these people doing the first tasting, right? (laughs) And so I mentioned, oh, I'm going to be studying there. And they were kind of like, big deal. They they weren't terribly impressed. And they were really into themselves, like people often are when they're going wine tasting. They're like in their own little world, (laughs) right? Oh, yeah, of course. And I was, I just felt like they were making fun of me or whatever. I mean, it was really awkward. So mm-hmm. anyway, they bought some wine and went away after I tasted with them. And I mentioned I was going to be an exchange student. And about two weeks later, the owner of the winery called me in his office and he said, gee, Kathleen, you must have really impressed some Englishman. There's a letter here for you. <laughs> and this is so long ago that people actually wrote letters, you I know? Love that, that, yeah. And um, the letter was addressed to the proprietor. Just, um, you know, it, I visited the winery, had an engaging conversation with blonde assistant and wanted to contact me. And there was a letter, dear question mark, uh, <laughs> not easy writing to a girl with no name. And, and so with this gentleman, I became pen pals mm-hmm. and I wrote to him for a year. I went to study in London and we dated and we've been married 35 years. Oh my goodness. Oh. Look at that. So, <laughs> that, so That was not what I was expecting. Exactly. <laughs> and so it turned out that Simon, my husband, had um, had, a, had a year between, uh, did a gap year mm-hmm. and he'd been in Burgundy. And so he had an, a love of wine that really started then as well. Mm-hmm. And so wine was just always part of our lives well i was living in england so i lived in england for 16 years wow but How in cool. yeah 19 my children were born there and one still lives there um in 1997 we had this harebrained idea that we should give up our careers in england and come back to california to sonoma county and to grow grapes and make wine Not, and what made you choose sonoma county over napa county where you're from my love of Pinot Noir. Oh, mm. love that. Yeah, you ain't getting so no you Pinot just in Napa. No, and I yeah. think Caneros, I'm not a big fan of Caneros as a wine-growing region. I uh-huh. think when I was a kid, it was all cows, and I uh-huh. think it was better for dairy. Okay. So what is your favorite, uh, I guess, wine-growing region for Pinot? The Russian River Valley. Russian River, yeah. I Russian just, I mean, when we were looking for land, we looked in Anderson Valley and yeah. Mendocino. We looked along the Sonoma Coast, but... 
the beautiful um, sort of velvety texture and the actual diversity within the Russian river mm-hmm. of um, terroir is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and the wines are so, so beautiful that I really wanted to be there. Yeah. And do all of your uh, grapes come from the Russian River Valley or do you kind of source from other? So I have 10 and a half acres that I farm organically. I Lovely. bought that land in 1999. Uh, it took me a year after we moved here in 98 to find it. And then I put the vineyard in the following spring and made the first wines in uh, 2002. Mm-hmm. And um, I kept with just a state. I grow Pinot Gris as well as Pinot Noir. Mm. And so I just had those two wines for quite a few years. And then as the brand grew, I started adding some other vineyards. So now I work with a Pinot Noir vineyard that's in the Sebastopol Hills. Mm. And this is an area that can be described as Sonoma Coast or Russian River. It's in in both appellations. Mm. So... um, so I have some grapes there. That's a higher elevation area, closer to the ocean. Mm-hmm. It's only about nine miles from the ocean, I think, as the crow flies and uh, second ridge in. So it gets a lot of wind from the ocean. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Very different flavor profile than my own vineyard, which is in the Russian River's um, Santa Rosa Plain area. So it's okay. a, um, you know, it's the other side of from where we're recording this. It's uh, the other side of the. Um, Santa Rosa area, yeah. area. Nice. And um, and then I also have some from the Laguna Ridge area, which is uh, near the Green Valley Appalachian. Oh, beautiful. So yeah, so it's they all have very different characters, and even though I make the wines the same mm-hmm. techniques, they turn out so very different, and that's, again, one of those things I think is so fascinating. Absolutely. Now, you brought some wine. Before we go to Mike's question, do you mind if we pop, if we try a little bit? Sure. What do you suggest we start well, with? Oh, gosh. So I, 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 brought, um, I brought some Chardonnay. Okay. Um, but I also brought several different Pinots and Yum. some sparkling. And Ooh. sparkling is always nice to start with. I sure. Think. Let's do it. i do this. Love that pop. <laughs> oh, not that one. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. So All I right. started making sparkling wine in 2009. I'd been planning it for a couple of years. Um, yeah, I opened this yesterday. I brought some things from the tasting room because we have you. a tasting room at the at the winery, and um, this is some of the 2016 Brut Rosé. Mm. It's um, oh, yeah. all from my estate vineyard, so it's all organically farmed. And it was um, a year and a half on the yeast okay. before it. Uh, so it's got a, a little bit of a yeasty character to it, but nice, bright strawberry. And uh, so it starts life as a white wine, actually, uh, made from Pinot, no skin contact at all. Mm-hmm. And then I tint it with red wine from a previous vintage. Love that. Oh, wow. And what is that method called? Of uh, Of tinting? Yeah. I don't oh know. my gosh! What is it called? I, I used it's to know only it's only Grand Cru champ. That's the only way you can have a rosé oh, Grand Cru champagne is by tinting. Okay, because, fascinating. Because if you do a saigné, a bleed, and get the color that I think way, that was the word I was thinking so that's, of. The saigné. Okay. Yeah, the saigné is a different uh, um, process. That's where you're taking some of the juice off before it's fully colored from the skins. Okay. Whereas this is. 
um, adding red wine. I mean, it's often, it's the joke of what people say, how do you make rosé? Take a white, yeah. take a red, and put them together. <laughs> in this case, it is, it's about uh, 3% in this vintage of red wine added. Okay. But my favorite, Krug um, rosé, um, the current release they're doing, it's like 22%. Interesting. So it's it depends on the pH of the wine, and, and there's a whole lot of things that impact the way the color takes once you add it. Okay. Now, you are on uh, the forefront of a lot of things that we think are common now, that um, it, one of them being kind of having an environmental conscious about uh, your winemaking. Uh, and uh, we talked about it before, screw caps. Yes. So, um, love it. How did you, I mean, when you started kind of implementing these things, um, were they, was no one doing it at the time? How did you kind of discover these, these ways to go about your winemaking? Yeah, well, the environmental aspect, I've always been very um, concerned with recycling and with issues of landfill and things since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've always wanted, if I had my own business, I wanted it to reflect what I call my eco-ethics, the things I believe in. Mm -hmm. And so that's been a, you know, important part of planning this business. Um, the screw caps came about that in 2002 when I was uh, getting ready to make my first um, Pinot Gris, it was. I was competitively tasting Pinot Gris from uh, California, mm -hmm. Pinot Gris from Oregon, and tasting what other people were making and understanding what was out there. And I kept coming across bottles that were corked, mm -hmm. that had been tainted by the you know the bacteria that happens and creates a TCA and sometimes they're only slightly corked mm -hmm. and they just take a little bit of the fruit away it doesn't when it's fully corked it pretty much tastes like grandma's basement oh, you yeah, know so it's bad. just cardboard and damp and mm -hmm. nasty but sometimes it just does a little bit and people don't always know and my fear was here I am making teeny tiny lots of wine someone procures a bottle and it's corked and they don't know that that's what it is, they're gonna say, I'm never buying that Inman wine because it's not good. Mm -hmm. And I felt, you know, people may not like the style of wine that I'm making, that's okay, but if they don't like it because of something I didn't have anything to do with. And so I started exploring um, using screw caps for my first vintage in 2002. And I liked not only the fact that I wouldn't have corked wines, but I don't have to use as much sulfur dioxide in my winemaking, and that's um, very important because winemakers tend to put a, a bump, as we call it, of uh, SO2 before you bottles because corks let oxygen in, and oxygen is actually wine's enemy. Yeah. And so you put the sulfur dioxide in to stop the oxidation of the wine. And I just don't like that matchsticky character that you get when you do that. And mm -hmm. so... I end up being able to bottle with usually like about 40% less. Wow. Um, so that's... Does that make them age differently at all or just... Well, no, because the screw cap doesn't let any oxygen in, so you don't need as much to protect the wine. Mm. So as long as your wine is sound and, and whatnot. Yeah. So... And so how... So um, I guess how many years if people wanted to wait to drink your wine? I know it depends on, on the varietal, but like I guess your Pinots. Yeah, so my Pinots, um, they usually spend two years in barrel uh -huh. and then a year in bottle before I release them. Mm -hmm. So I'm sort of helping people because, you know, there's a statistics that show something like the average person um, 
ages their wine, the time it takes from the car seat <laughs> yeah. to their, to <laughs> their kitchen. That's very true. They want so, it now. <laughs> and, and so I like to help people because when I first started and I hadn't didn't have that luxury, I had people maybe not understanding the wines that I'm making. And mm-hmm. so whereas you give them a little bit of extra time. So to answer the question, I, I like my estate Pinot um, six to ten years after um, the vintage date. Okay, awesome. Nice. And um, now you your wines are natural wines is that correct well i that's it's such a um it's a thing it's a thing that and the word (laughs) the word means different things to different people totally so my goal in winemaking is to try and um spend a lot of time in the vineyard and make sure that the grapes i'm bringing in are in really perfect condition and that means when when they come in i don't have to add any sulfur to kill off any um mold or mildew that the plants might the grapes might have had Mm -hmm. um and my goal is not to add any water or acid which are quite common things that people add to wine Mm -hmm. in california at least and no enzymes or tannins and so that part is natural so i also do very small lot fermentations and i don't use any glycol in my cellar so I'm not chilling things Mm -hmm. if I need to chill it I add dry ice if I need to heat it up I take it out into the sun okay and so thank goodness I do all earlier ripening varietals because uh, you know this time of year if you're doing Cabernet the yeah it's not so warm no (laughs) (laughs) but anyway I I do that and I just try and you know be as natural as I can I love that I don't rack the wines uh the whites and the reds stay on their original um Lees, mm-hmm. the yeast um, debris, and I use n- most of my wines, not the sparkling we're tasting now, but the Chardonnay and all the Pinots are native yeast. Okay. So it's only the yeast that comes in on the grapes, and then it goes through the second fermentation with just the natural um, malactic bacteria. Very cool. Now, one of the other, we, we mentioned at the beginning, uh, another of your passions is music. Yes. And uh one of the things that I mean, we've talked about it um, even on this show. Uh, people doing um, music and wine pairings, and that's um, that's something that you've also been a part of. Um, what what's uh, what was kind of your mindset in curating the uh, a music and wine pairing? Well, I, I'm I've always been into into music, and uh, you know, I was a punk when I was in high school, and uh, I you know go to go to a lot of music festivals and nice. uh, lots of live music and I think I just felt kind of like the environmental side I just wanted to bring one of the things that I was passionate about together with some of the other things that I'm passionate about and mm-hmm. it's it seemed a natural a natural fit and I love to cook as well so I would what I do is you know have some recipes in my newsletter um to my uh, mailing list because my wines are all um, predominantly sold on my mailing list. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do recipe and then I thought to pair with a wine, I better pair a song with it too. And so I used to, uh, you know, choose something new that was some song that had just come out the month I was doing the newsletter, a, a couple of them. And then I would choose something old school as well so that it uh, <laughs> hit, you know, had diverse sort of... Uh, Hit every demographic. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> nice. And now what, um, do you maybe remember some of your favorite pairings that you came up with? 
I should have thought of that before I came. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can remember um, with the um, the Pinot Gris, I had a, a recipe that was a seared scallop mm. um, that you just sear, um, hard sear on one side, so you get a nice crust. Lovely. Flip it over, splash some Pinot Gris, and then take the scallops out, whisk in a little creme fraiche, mm. and then garnish it with some uh, chives and... Uh, a little caviar if you have it mm. and Sounds pair decadent. that with that pinot gris which is has great acidity and uh, um, a nice blend of uh, sort of citrus as well as uh, stone fruit kind of flavors and i think i had chosen um blondie the tide is high for the um pairing for <laughs> for that and uh so i thought it brought out some of the you know it's got that kind of little tropical sort mm-hmm. of edge to it mm-hmm. um but i'm trying to remember what song it was i have a feeling it might have been an alt j song but oh. i can't remember okay. so okay i'm sorry <laughs> that is okay no you you're saying there's some even some science behind this in the way yes. that uh our brains you know receive the music and receive you know taste the wine it might bring out different things how how does that uh, how does that play into it? Yes, well, I'm not an expert in this, but I've been to a number of seminars where this is this is done, and you in the experiment you taste the wine with no music, and then you taste it with um, a classical song, a sort of pop song, and maybe a heavy metal song, and you find that the acidity and the structure of the wine seem different when uh, paired with the different music. Um, I can remember tasting a Sauvignon Blanc with um, uh, Mozart and I think it was like Bon Jovi or something they played, which (laughs) not my normal kind of music, but anyway, um, and uh, the difference was, was really quite striking. How fun. Okay. So. um, Nice. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to do an event like that. Yes. At your winery. We could do that. I, I, you know, I actually did think about that as a sort of, I, I don't do a lot of events. I'm not a, Yeah. My, as a, my, our winery, we don't, we seem to just, people just come and hang out. We don't do yeah. events. <laughs> but I was thinking it would be kind of fun to do that. For sure. Oh, yeah. It'd be totally fun. An all Bon Jovi pairing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but 80s hair metal. Exactly. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> Now, for people um, looking for your wines, you said you're mostly uh, mostly mailing list. Is yeah, that, so that my website, InmanFamilyWines.com, has uh, my current releases on it, and um, and people sign up for the mailing list on the on the website, or when they are visiting Sonoma County and they come to taste. Um, when you come to taste with us, you either taste with me um, or my assistant in the cellar, so you get to meet the winemaker, no matter. Which is always so Which fun. Are, so you get to ask the t- the geeky questions if you want, but um, equally you you know you don't have to. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the main way. I'm there. It's in the past they've been at restaurants all over the country, but I don't make I make less than five thousand cases. So there's not a lot of wine to go around. I love this uh, this sparkling wine that you have on here this 2014 whole bunch of bubbles that's yes. so fun how'd you come uh, up with that name well I made a wine called whole bunch of love uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and because uh, it was a whole 100% whole cluster carbonic uh, pinot noir mm-hmm. 
And so, obviously, it's a whole play on music oh, as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah, exactly. I love it. And everyone loved this label, which was based on Fillmore posters. Yes. Um, and using Wes Wilson's uh, font. And I was doing this uh, um, Blanc de Noir, that, and I just kind of wanted it was a one-off wine and I thought I want to do something a little bit fun and and I started thinking about how people love that label and I thought maybe a whole bunch of bubbles and (laughs) and it really was and is a wine that uh, is very effervescent Mm -hmm. I might have gone a little overboard on my (laughs) yeast count when I did the thing it's a it's a lot of bubbles and it's very tasty Uh and it spent three years on the yeast so it's quite a complex uh, wine fun okay and that's still available on your website yes it is perfect inmanfamilywines.com for those that want to get that (laughs) should we have some pinot oh of course this is a brand new release that i brought along i just opened it for some folks who came to see me a couple hours ago thank you so much sure enough and this is actually um, a blend of... May I see the bottle? Of course. So all of my bottles have um, roses on them because um, they're in... Sometimes they're a blind emboss uh-huh. and sometimes they are um, a drawing. But that's because my husband and my children were born in Yorkshire and the white rose of Yorkshire is the symbol. So this is a sort of a secret um, code and on the tops, we have this heraldic uh, Yorkshire rose. So wow. it's sort of, sometimes we get people coming to taste and they recognize that they're from Yorkshire and uh-huh. they recognize it. So How um, fun. little paying homage to exactly. the past. Exactly. Love that. So tell us a little bit about the, um, the flavor profile of this Pinot and, um, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, I'm a little bit of a mm. contrarian. Um, when everyone is making um, single vineyard Pinot Noirs, which is what I have been doing, um, last year I decided I would, instead of doing that, I would make the ideal blend from the three uh, vineyards that I work with. So nice. the the 17 um, Russian River blend is um, from three really fantastic vineyards um, that I mentioned earlier, the um, Pratt Vine Hill, um, Pratt Sexton Road and my estate Olivet Grange Vineyard and so it's um, you know each wine on its own is very interesting but somehow sometimes when you put a blend together you really can hit all the, the back to music again you're, you're hitting all the <laughs> <Yeah>. notes <laughs> and so this wine it has beautiful floral aromas that come from the Pratt, Vine Hill, and the OGV. Mm-hmm. On their own, one one has more of a purple flowers, uh, like lilac, lavender, um, and kind of crushed violets, whereas my estate vineyard has more of the dried rose petal. And so I think you get that, and then you get this nice big mid-palette from the Sonoma Coast vineyard, the, the really Russian River. But uh, mm-hmm. anyway, this sort of blackberry and core of dark cherry but underneath it, you've got this nice bright cranberry and rhubarb and pomegranates yeah. that give it a little bit of a zing. Mm-hmm. So It's really lovely. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. I just released it to my wine club um, last month. Wow. I'm kind of take a picture of that. Yeah, that was super good. Um, I love it because it's, um, 
And this seems like it would go very well with um, with the meal. This is a wine that I would definitely bring. We're, we're kind of right around Thanksgiving, so it's yes. definitely a wine that I would bring to dinner and feel pretty confident that everybody would enjoy that. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I think all of my wines, I think about food all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and when I'm making wine, I'm often thinking, oh, this would go well with this. Oh, I and, love that. And so, you know, it's... I think of wine as a food, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just there. I always say it's a virtuous circle that as you eat the food, you drink the wine, the wine makes the food taste better. Absolutely. Then you eat the food, it makes the wine taste better. And it's just a virtuous circle. Now you'd mentioned uh, he, he, before we started. You, you said you, you wouldn't call yourself a chef, but more a, a cook. Uh, you're very very into food. Um, you know you, that's another of your passions. So that's the pairing side of it is something you always sort of have in the back of your mind as um, you know as you're developing these wines. Yeah, uh, definitely. And I, I love gardening. So you know my. My, I have two vegetable gardens, one at my winery and one at my home. And so for me, it always starts there with, with produce um, and then creating, creating something. And I don't know, making wine. You know, when I lived in England, we also had cows and sheep. So mm-hmm. we, had, we knew our meat by name. And mm-hmm. it, but I never made wine there. And so it's now you know, full, I don't know, full circle of getting a little of everything. How cool. Is there, uh, in England, is there much winemaking there now? There is now. Is there? Okay, I wasn't, wasn't sure. I know, I should I sometimes think now I shouldn't have left. Um, <laughs> the land's a lot cheaper for... I bet, yeah. <laughs> but um, yes, in the south of England, there are a lot of fantastic sparkling wines. And Ooh. I mean, I am pretty passionate about sparkling wine from all over the world, mm-hmm. particularly champagne, but... Um, but I think that some of the English uh, sparklings are uh, are as good as as um, some of the best champagnes. Wow! Do you have a particular um, uh, winery that you enjoy? Like, yes, I do, and there are quite a few women winemakers oh, there as well, which is really cool. Um, and one of them that I really love is Hattingley Valley, mm. and uh, Emma Rice is the winemaker there. And I pretty much love every single wine that uh, that they make. Very nice. But there are lots of others. I mean, I'm a big fan of um, of Ridgeview and Night Timber as well. And some of those are wines that you can get here in um, the United States. Oh, good. Like at Bottle Barn, maybe? Or... Yes, I'm not sure because I always buy them there. And then okay. I basically, when I go to visit, um, go to our home in England, I bring Inman wines to share (laughs) and then I take the empty box back with English wines. Love that. That's brilliant. (laughs) Makes good use of that shipper. You know, it goes in the hold and comes back. Mm -hmm. Full. Full. Yep. (laughs) Anyway, but it's, you know, a lot of people don't think of England as a place for wine. No, yeah, not yet, but it's it's up and coming. It's up and coming, but I think you really can't beat Sonoma County. I I think we're um, pretty blessed here. I think so too, because we have such a um, an interesting climate here too, right? With the ocean being so close, and yes, um, but you get some areas that are that can get really warm, and then you have the what the Petaluma Gap area. There's yes. so many different. There are, and there's yeah. also so many different soil types. That's true. Yeah. So you have this mixture of the different elevations, the different um, 
uh, weather patterns because of proximity to the ocean Mm -hmm. and then you have all these different soils there are more soil types in sonoma county than there are in the whole country of france what yes wow that's a fun fact (laughs) fun fact i know take that to trivia night (laughs) exactly well we have really complex um geology because of um the way california was formed Mm -hmm. and the way sonoma county various tectonic plates we don't want to go into that but anyway it does mean that it has really cool soils yeah okay very nice and now you chose your um plot of land to be in what area and what made you choose that area well um it was near some other vineyards that i really admired it was Mm -hmm. a piece of land that had been a vineyard as early as 1883 it was part of a really large vineyard that had a winery on it called the mount olivet winery Mm. but in um in uh, 1899 um, a family italian immigrant family bought the property and they already had a winery so they let the winery kind of go and were and bought it for the grapes then um prohibition came Mm -hmm. and uh they everything quieted down and by the time they decided to start up again the equipment and everything was was gone so they tore the winery down in the Mm. early 1930s and um and then they started selling off the parcels so there was only of the 170 acres i got the last 10 and a half acres oh nice (laughs) congrats (laughs) yeah so um so anyway it was it was just a wonderful um sort of uh serendipitous Mm -hmm. um finding this property actually and it's it's on the olivet road which has a lot of other really fine wineries on it and we actually think of our areas the olivet district has some unique properties and they're probably like eight or nine wineries on our road oh great and is that where your tasting room is as well yes okay and so if people want to come to your tasting room um do they call and make an appointment or can they just walk in call and make an appointment okay um, often we have appointments on the day, but sometimes we don't. And I hate when people, I want people to have a really fun experience when they come to us. Yeah. All of our tastings are sit down tastings, not formal sit down, but um, mm-hmm. informal sit down. And I think it's better to not have too many people at the same time. So it's good to call and check. Perfect. Okay. So how have you seen, I mean, it, you started in family in 2000. How have you seen you know, the wine industry in this area changed. I'm sure it's grown so much since then, even in relatively short a time from 2000. Yeah, it's been interesting. When I started, there were a lot of new wineries um, at the same time as me. It was just a big explosion. And then we had recession, and a lot of wineries that started when I did no longer exist. A lot have been bought up by the larger wineries, even though they keep their original small family name they're Mm -hmm. actually owned by very large wineries Mm -hmm. um and now there's another growth of a lot of um uh new small wineries that um younger people are you know uh, just out of college and a couple years experience are starting their own brands so it's kind of like you know it's very cyclical this industry in so many ways and it's um it's been interesting to, to see that have you seen more did you have a lot of opposition when you first started with the um the screw cap well it wasn't opposition i didn't have um thank you you're welcome 
This is the estate Pinot, the 2016. It's the baby I give birth to every year. <laughs> so since I take care of the grapes and um, uh, make the wine. Love it. Um, so what was I? I've just totally lost mm. my uh, thread as I was the, looking uh, at the pouring the wine. Screw cap. Screw cap. So yeah, so I, I think at first it just was, it was a little bit, um, people expected the wine, uh, wine with a screw cap was a cheaper wine. Totally. You know, and all the market research, when I made that decision for that first wine, market research said no one would spend more than $25 on a bottle of wine that had a screw cap. Mm. But at that, back in 2002, there weren't any wines you could buy mm -hmm. <laughs> over 25. So, mm -hmm. you know, you can't, if you had said back in 2000 that you would have a, piece of equipment on your body at all times that you could right. find any answer Seriously. to any question you wanted. Oh, you could insane. make a call and you could uh, take a photo. You would say, why would I need that? Uh -huh. And now you people can't live without it. And no. I feel so many things are like that. And I think that there are so many advantages to I screw, agree. screw caps. I'm and a big fan. So I just, you know, I the only kind of negative at the beginning um, one of my friends bought wine, she's an accountant and partner in a firm, and she bought my wine to have at their um, uh, holiday party. Mm -hmm. She also bought some cheaper wine to have at the end when the guests <laughs> didn't care what they were drinking, uh -huh, right? Yep. Well, the caterers, that cheaper wine had corks in it, and the caterers came and they were opened the cork wine. Oh. And when she tasted the wine, she's like, this doesn't taste like the Inman. Mm -hmm. And um, of course she went back and they said, oh, we thought we'd leave the screw cap wine for later. And she's like, no, no, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the good stuff. <laughs> that's the, the $68 bottle. Not <laughs> so yeah. anyway, those sort of funny things happen, but, mm -hmm. but I really think um, nowadays it's all about what's in the bottle. It doesn't Absolutely, matter, yeah. you know, the choice of closure is the winemaker's choice or the winery owner's choice. And there are pros and cons to everything. And yeah. I'm just I'm just a fan for the style of wines I make. They tend to be, my wines tend to be generally lower alcohol. They, like I said, I use lower, um, uh, lower sulfur and things that can cause issues with screw caps aren't really a problem with the style of wines I make. Nice. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the screw cap because it's just, I'm all about whatever's easy, but delicious as well. So it's so nice that there are really beautiful wines um, from boutique wineries that really care about what they're putting in the bottle that's available in a screw cap. Cause it's like, we always you know. say it's the crack of another perfect bottle. <laughs> <laughs> the yes. sound of another perfect bottle. <laughs> Love that. No, you also have uh, the wine club with Inman Family. Uh, what what kind of things can people look forward to with that? Well, I mean, we we do have a wine club, but we we it's basically we don't. When people come to us, you know, sometimes you go to a winery. I don't know. People go travel to wine country, and you come, and you feel like you're maybe being sold a used car. Where people <laughs> are trying to, can I get you into a wine club today? Mm -hmm. And that isn't how we work. We don't even mention our wine club. It tends to be people who are big fans of the wine who want to make sure they get some of the smaller lots that I have that sell out quickly because the wine club gets first dibs on new wines. 
so like I said, this um, Russian River wine, I haven't put it on the website yet. And uh, another sparkling that I brought hasn't been put on yet. And that's because we're just at the end of the autumn club. So my club is when you choose your own wine adventure. It's How fun. So if you only like sparkling wines, you can cho- choose six or 12 sparkling wines. If you like to mix it up, I have some people that, you know, choose one bottle of every different thing and I choose I let my my wine club members choose older vintages too so if I have enough available I will put them as part of a selection and so um, that's really nice because that's unusual for you know people to have that much uh, that ability to customize to that extent. yes there's usually between 10 and 13 choices even wow. though I only usually have like six wines uh, primary wines that I make and it's six bottles shipped two times a year so that's fantastic too I mean you know you're always going to have good wine yes I mean when someone says they don't they have too much wine it's like you're not (laughs) yeah you're not Uh, drinking enough (laughs) seriously it's like come on now seriously yeah you need to pick up your one bottle a month obviously (laughs) have dinner with friends exactly exactly (laughs) good excuse pop open the bottle I know. It's so funny. <laughs> and I love how um, it says that the story of Inman Family Wines is about blending the senses, the elements, culture, and experience. And that's just really amazing because of you were saying, you know, you got the wine, the music, the food component. Um, tell us a little bit more about, like, how that came about. And Well, because I, I, I think of all of those things appeal to your senses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the music and the um like we were talking about on the tastings your your brain only has so many receptors and they're used for there's overlapping um uh areas of the brain for for your sense of smell and and taste and sight and touch and you know wine has all of those elements to Mm -hmm. it and you know and food and and music to a certain extent so anyway i just it seemed to me very elemental and Mm -hmm. so i just that's i change the website every couple of years but when i when i redid the site the last time we really focused on on that because i'm making wines not by the numbers Mm -hmm. um i'm not like when i'm picking grapes most people pick on the sugar or they've measured the acid i call myself a grape groper i go around and give them a good can't quite see the because we're on a podcast but uh there's a a definite groping that goes on and um based on how they feel i then decide and how they taste Mm -hmm. and then when i um taste the grapes i spit the skin and seeds out and i move them in my fingers to see how they break apart and how the tannin structure is and so it's all very sensual very cool and so that's where that kind of the senses came about. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, do you have a oh, I was just going to say we, uh, we're in or getting close to the well, we're in, in the midst of the holiday season now. Yeah. Um, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, so many big dinner opportunities. Do you have sort of a holiday pairing of choice? So certain wines that you like to go with a Thanksgiving dinner or a Christmas dinner or. I, I guess uh, I think the New Year's bubble is an easy choice, but yeah. <laughs> yes, for me, yeah. bubbles with everything. Right. But I'm a big fan oh. of um, of rosé with um, turkey. Oh, lovely. Mm. Okay. If you're doing the traditional, or if you're vegetarian, I think um, uh, I also uh, like rosé. But I think 
Pinot is another really good for things that are with nuts and mushrooms oh, and yeah. those sorts of things. Um, so Pinot and Rosé are my two go-tos for, um, and we don't, always, we don't always have our wine, but for the Rosé, we usually do. Oh, very nice. <laughs> my Rosé is called Endless Crush. Um, <laughs> we like the double entendre, um, mm-hmm. and I made it as a present for my husband Simon when I forgot our 20th wedding anniversary, <laughs> and I called it as a harvest day. I was so excited in 2004 uh-huh. about the harvest, and I totally forgot it was our anniversary. <laughs> And uh, when I got up at 3.30 in the morning to head to the vineyard, I was sneaking out because I realized I didn't buy a card or a present. And he turned the lights on and was all, happy anniversary. (laughs) And he had this lovely uh, stone and a big card. Oh, how sweet. I had nothing. So I said, (laughs) thinking quickly on my feet, um, I'm making a special wine for you today, dear. And that's how Endless Crush was oh born. Oh, my God, I love it. That's so, amazing. yeah, so this is a direct-to-press rosé. So it isn't a, a bleed-off like we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. So I use the grapes that would normally be my estate, Pinot Noir, which we just finished tasting. Um, I uh, put it directly in the press. I leave it for the time it takes me to go have two tacos at the taqueria. <laughs> and then I come back, and that's my recipe. Perfect. Fueled by tacos. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that kind of a rosé. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so we like to um, to end our podcast with a question to our guests. And this may be an easy one or it may be difficult. I'm not sure for you. I think she's going to be good at this one. I think so, too. But so the question is, um, on a good day when you go home, uh, what would be your perfect pairing of music, wine, and food? Well, often, um, <laughs> for me, it's... It's a grower champagne, mm. or if I have some of my own in the fridge, the Brut Rosé with some popcorn with some white truffle salt on Ooh, it. yes, please. And I just pour a glass, get the popcorn, sit down for a little bit, because uh-huh. salty snack and, oh, and yeah. champagne is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? The music is the harder thing for me, because I don't um, usually have any music on when I go when I go home. But I do create playlists when I'm in the cellar and every oh, okay. vintage um, I have playlists of uh, um, different things, a mix of things. I think the, the wine is better for having music around it. Oh yeah. So do you release those playlists? Like uh, I have done, I didn't do this year's okay. um, because Harvest was just a little bit crazy just as we were finishing. um, We had various things to deal with and Mm -hmm. so I didn't do it. But I was noticing my 2018, you know, was a a mix of uh, um, some Missio and um, uh, Robert DeLong and Uh Alt-J and and then some Clash. I always have to have the Clash. Yes. I can't remember what else, but you know, just a yeah, an eclectic mix. And do you send that out to your wine club members, or do you have a Spotify account like where people can follow those? Different no, vintages? I don't, but okay. I should. Yeah, actually. that would be super fun. <laughs> I should for sure. Um, it's kind of like we were talking about um, blogging and how. Oh yeah. I thought I was going to do that, and I just. <laughs> I mean, I only have. We're an all-woman crew where there was only three of us in the winery. My oh, sister, who does the bookkeeping and compliance work, and myself. And Madeline, my um, new seller assistant. Mm. And so there's not a lot of extra time. Totally. Yes. There's only <laughs> so like much time in the some day. Some things would be really cool to do, but not enough time. For sure. 
I hear that. <laughs> so the best place to send people if they want to find out more, InmanFamilyWines.com? That's the place. And then, of course, we're on Insta and Facebook and Twitter as well for little bits of fun from time to time. Nice. And I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Regine, who introduced us. Yes. She was a previous guest on our podcast, and she connected us. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, she, she paired this endless crush with one of her poems. Oh, lovely. Uh, yes. Yes. Her, it's that, quite, a, quite a sexy poem. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I would imagine it <laughs> yes. would be. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, yeah. If you haven't checked out her book, um, definitely do so. I think we linked it on that on that episode correct yes it's called cloves and lilies cloves and lilies yes exactly well thank you so much well thank you for having me i'm sorry that i've been such a no gravelly voice but (laughs) no uh, you were fantastic thank you (laughs) thank you and your wines are amazing so um if you guys want to check them out again as mike was saying inmanfamilywines.com go check them out and um and buy some wine it's good stuff